0: Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Busy. It's still pride. It is still pride. This closet's getting a little smaller. Smaller and hotter. but We're getting prouder. Yeah, there's more people in it
1: today. That's true. We have guests for the first time ever. Yeah. Today in the studio, we have Lee and Charles from the Northern Overexposure Podcast. Hello. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hi. You might
0: recognize Lee's voice because he's <laughs> our producer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he knows the drill. But uh, Charles, you're new here. We're excited to have you.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me and also me and Lee together right here to, you know, do the standard thing of plugging our podcast. <laughs> you know, <doing> the, <laughs> but no, no, no. I am totally excited to be here for Subtextual. I've heard your very first episode. I want to say it's Fried Green Tomatoes. That's Great. yeah, That's it. Yeah. And I remember listening to it and being like, oh, this is a blast. Like, this uh-huh. sounds like this is really fun. I get the energy of what the hosts are trying to do. I understand, what, like, the purpose of the podcast. There's great chemistry going on here. When Lee told me, he was like, oh, yeah, do you want to appear on the podcast? I was like, yeah, totally. Let's do this.
0: Oh my yeah. Oh I'm my ego. I'm blushing. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about what uh, your podcast is about?
3: Yeah. So Charles and I co-host this podcast about a television series called Northern Exposure. It's a show from the 90s. Largely, um, pretty pretty hard to. Uh, it's not, I don't want to say unavailable, but it's pretty hard to track down because it's never been made available for streaming. But it does have a huge cult following, and then um, also like back in the day, it won Emmys and like two Peabody awards, so it's critically acclaimed. It's just a series that we want to bring more focus on today, and part of that. Uh, in the podcast is we invite on guests each episode, someone who has never seen the show. So we expand the reach of Northern Exposure by inviting them on and then just kind of get their opinion on like, does this show actually make sense? Still today, it's like 30 years old now. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, each of you, uh, Sam and Lizzie, you guys have been on the podcast before. Thanks very much. Yeah. And I I guess I can plug that you'll be uh, appearing again soon in season five.
0: Yeah, we, we love going on your podcast. It's such a blast. And um, it's great to, to jump in for a spot on their pod because you don't have to have seen the entire show. (laughs) So you get to see this slice and like snippet of the weirdest, most like niche things. It's so underground. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's
3: true. It's a good way of describing it.
2: Yeah, that's like a recipe for like a very successful podcast. You make one on a show that legally has never been on streaming services before. And like only, like only people that are like 50 plus in order have seen it. Uh, so that's true, totally the demo that, that you want to reach demo. out to.
0: Yeah, the like the Venn diagram of people who know how to listen to podcasts and people who have seen the show like hardly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but all of those people listen to Northern Overexposure. That's yeah. true. Well, enough about cults and followings. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: We're here to talk about a film that I personally think should be required watching for every single person on planet Earth. And that movie is Wong Kar-wai's Happy Together. Yeah, that's so, a good movie. It's a great movie. I guess let's go around and say a little quick your relationship with this movie, if you've seen it before, what you think about it. And also in general, what you, how this film fits into Wong Kar-wai's other work that you've seen,
3: if mm-hmm. any. I'll start. Um, Big fan of Wong Kar Wai. Um, When I first started watching like movies on Netflix streaming, for whatever reason, there's like four or five Wong Kar Wai movies on there. I think the first one I ever saw was Days of Being Wild. And uh, I've seen Happy Together. I remember I've seen this movie twice before this. This is my third. I actually watched it twice before recording the podcast. So I've seen it four times now. It's really good. I did not remember it very much uh, before you know, watching again for this podcast, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really great movie. After watching it, it makes me want to go back and revisit all of Wong Kar Wai's movies because it really, they really did have a huge impact on me. Probably like early college, I'm guessing is when that, um, when I started watching his movies and, I don't know, it's been a few years since I've like really gone through the filmography and I kind of feel like I need to reevaluate like where how I rank them. I've forgotten a lot about certain Wong Kar-wai movies. Um, but I think if I had to go on record today, my favorite might be Fallen Angels. Mm. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Um, but Charles, did we ever watch a Wong Kar-wai movie together, Charles
2: or I don't know, because I want to say this is actually my first one seeing it. Um,
3: what do you think that we would have seen together? I think it might have been Ashes of Time Redux, which is one I completely don't remember. But I only saw it once on like Netflix streaming. Maybe not, though.
2: There is a strong possibility that we did <laughs> see it. Be- like So like the, the, the way it like Lee used to watch movies back... When we were like in uh, like in high school, in college, was that he would invite me over and be like, hey, do you want to see a movie? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And at that stage um, of my life, I didn't know what like indie movies were. Lee, Lee was like basically the guy who introduced me to like movies didn't have to be giant blockbusters and everything. So we'd always watch these movies that I had no idea about, like I never heard about. Um and so like, it, there's a giant possibility you showed me like one of his films and I just have no recollection of it. Well, uh, what about you guys?
3: Like Lizzie, Sam?
0: Yeah. So this is the first time I'd seen a film by Wong Kar Wai and I saw it today. Actually, I told myself I'd multitask during my <laughs> workday, day and I, I thought I could just put it on in the background. I was sorely mistaken. I had to stop everything I was doing and It's a beautiful film and, you know, going to film school, you hear about um, In the Mood for Love Mm -hmm. all of the time. I'm surprised that I'd never seen that film either. And I learned that he directed that film while I was like looking into this movie. So I really am glad I did get to see it, though, with with no like context or or any sort of impression. Mm -hmm. And it's great.
1: Yeah, this was to me the standout because I've seen probably four or five of his like earlier works, like his 90s works. And to me, this is the one that stands out the most. I mean, obviously, because it has a queer storyline and I'm like a fucking bug to light (laughs) with that. But also because it is so unique and rich and there's so many elements that I can't wait to dive in with you guys here. Um, So a little bit about our lovely Wong Kar-Wai. He's a Hong Kong film director. He's directed 10 movies, and interestingly, his last film was almost 10 years ago in 2013, a movie called The Grandmaster, which I've never seen but looks a little bit more high-budget mainstream. Most of the work I know him for is, like, In the Mood for Love, *Chunking Express, these more, like, gritty, indie run-and-gun features, because from what I've heard about his production style, he does tend to kind of, like go in a little wild. Like, he he comes <laughs> to the table with with just an idea of a couple of characters and, like, the idea of a world. He literally put together his, like, small production team that he had been doing uh, multiple films with in China at that point. He brought them over to Argentina, including his two actors, Tony Lung and Leslie Chung, uh, and knew that these were the two characters they were going to play and that they were going to be in a relationship. But essentially, nothing else is what it sounds like. He kind of, like makes it up as he goes inspired by the locations and the elements available to him which I think is really cool and really ballsy. Um, (laughs) He kind of just shoots like a lot like there's a bunch of unused footage you can find on this film in the like short doc that was made about it called Buenos Aires Zero Degree. There's like whole storylines and characters that were just cut out like he just goes to town and then brings it all into the editing room, chops it up, finds the story. Yeah. And
0: it's a really interesting way to do film. I heard that this movie's runtime was three hours before they
3: started cutting.
0: It could easily wow. be like three films from what it sounds like.
3: Yeah, that that freaking blew my mind when I because it wasn't until very recently that I was talking about One Car Y with someone else and they were like, yeah, he like never has a script. He just like yeah. has an idea and starts shooting. And it makes a lot of sense because uh, sometimes he'll use a lot of, like, voiceover narration. I guess he does a little bit in this movie for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's just like he is sitting in an editing room after he shoots for a couple days and decides, like, okay, this is what the story will be. I mean, maybe he has more than that, but watching that short doc, uh, Buenos Aires, uh, Zero Degree was insane. Cause it's, it's really interesting. Like, I think they go with some of the crew members back to where they shot it like a year or so after. So you get to see them walk around the sets, but then also they start playing footage from the movie. I'm like, Oh great. We're just going to watch clips from the movie again. And then all of a sudden, like these clips, I'm like, wait, this didn't happen in the movie. And there's so, like you're saying, there's so much footage that was like completely different storylines. Like I think in one version Tony Lung's character commits suicide or something. It's like, what? And Wong Kar-wai was like, this is not the movie I wanted to make. And it's like, he shot it and he's like, I'm not going to shoot anymore. I'm going to redo all that.
1: Yeah, there's like a whole romance sort of thing with the nurse where the nurse has a crush on him, (laughs) but he's gay. So he's like (laughs) trying to deflect it. There's actually, speaking of that particular scene, Uh I I pulled this like fun fact and I was hoping it would come in handy. But in this footage in the documentary, that's like kind of showing how they filmed... Uh, Fai's character committing suicide and then going to the hospital to be like resuscitated. There's a scene where his lover Hopo Wing finds out and he's kind of like screams out his name. He screams out like, Mm Fai! And there's this voiceover narration where Fai says, Hopo Wing is my name. You know why I kept your passport? I wanted to keep your name forever. So it's like Aww. this whole other, like, mm-hmm. call me by your name almost yeah. scenario where yeah. it's like, I wanted to keep you so close to me. I literally took your name. Yeah. But there's so much more to this movie that you can even feel, I think, in mm. the story mm-hmm. without having it be explicitly narrated. Um. So if we're... If we're feeling good about this, we can start jumping into the plot. Let's sure. go.
2: Yeah. Um.
1: I've read reviews that people are like complain that this plot doesn't really go anywhere. And I fucking disagree because I have five <laughs> solid pages of plot points <laughs> here to refute that. Tons there's, happens.
3: There's like, yeah, something about Wonka-Wai's movies that feel, I think that's what initially drew me to them. Apart from like how romantic and poetic they are and like the beautiful, dreamy cinematography is just like the plots seem so completely different than what you would see in a Western movie. And I'm guessing now that's probably a product of him, like not having a script and just like trying to come up with a story after the fact. But so many times in his movies, like I can think of, it'll start off with Uh, uh, like a B character. And then the B character just like leaves before the second act and is just gone for like the whole movie. It's like, what is what? And then comes back at the very end. And it's just like, I would never imagine writing a script where one of my main characters is gone. And I don't know, there's just a lot of weird. And in in this movie, it kind of feels like, um, there are just like little, um, what's the word? Like vignette scenes that kind of like I can sense where it's like, it's not really a plot line going through it, but we're seeing all these moments. I don't know. I think there's something cool about that as well.
0: Yeah. It it feels more true to life when Mm. it feels like characters have multiple directions in front of them to take rather than like a set one that's like written in stone and you can definitely feel that especially with that um third character i'm forgetting his chang. name yeah chang. chang who comes back around in the end and it was it was just so nice
1: yeah that's like a perfect example of what you're saying lee how like the narrative Like halfway through just kind of picks up with a totally different relationship Mm -hmm. of Chang and Fai. But that was also because they lost Leslie Chung, who plays Hopo Wing, halfway through production. Oh, my God. So they were like, oh, shit, we didn't get everything we needed with him. So Wong Kar-Wai was like, well, what if we bring in this other actor I love? Fly him in Argentina. (laughs) We'll make something work with him. And they did. And I I love the Chang character. Yeah, I think without that character, this film would be a lot heavier because they probably would have <laughs> left in all the suicide stuff. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Um, But he brings a really nice like little cream cheese filling to this really heavy film. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> to me, that's kind of when the movie started. Uh, I mean, I love the beginning too, but when he starts coming in, I'm like, oh yeah, this is starting to like rock and roll. And yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: I think that he has a really great use of theme because immediately you can tell that like okay this we have these two characters that don't belong in Argentina whatsoever. So they're going to be a fish out of water. They're going to be uh ju- the I think the word that they used to describe this would be the antipodes, like the distinctly ah. the opposite ends between two places right here. So at the end of the story, the only thing that matters is that they get back to their original location. And anything else that happens in between, those can be vignettes, those can be character moments, they can be whatever you want. But the overarching theme is that you have a character that is displaced and they have to get back to the original place. And you can use two characters to play off of that theme. Mm -hmm. One doesn't return back and one does. And once you have that outline in your head, I think that Juan wai can do whatever he wants. He can, like you guys are saying, he's just going nuts. He's just filming everything, <laughs> and I think that, like, that, go off, man. Like, I think you're doing exactly what you need to do because you have the idea in your head. You have the theme of what you're trying to explore, which there's so many of them, mm-hmm. and you can just do whatever you want. I think that's such a great free willing idea.
1: Yeah, I really like how in your kind of logline of it, you're kind of talking about like this is about people like leaving home. Getting as far away as possible and then trying just the whole time to get back. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing, there was just one fact about this film that when I read it just stuck in my head so hard. And I was like, that is fucking beautiful and genius. But Hong Kong is geographically the opposite end of the world of where they are in Argentina. Mm -hmm. So that has to be a specific choice on Wong Kar-wai's part.
0: Like, just wondering if y'all have any thoughts on that. I think I read that he had a tax credit and he was Mm. like obliged to film it. Mm. Yeah, and he chose Argentina, but I think he was obliged to incentive. Yeah, um, in South America.
3: Hmm.
1: And also he hmm. apparently is a big Maradona fan, which is an yeah. Argentinian soccer player. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in, in
3: the documentary, he's like, why did I shoot in Argentina? I really like soccer. It's like, I'm not. I'm sure that's not the Dude, answer, but he's just making something up. I think it, he I
1: likes to fuck with the press, because <laughs> any in- interview I've read with him, he is like hardballing these interviewers. Like, he is not giving it up easy. And I think it's really funny, because I feel like that's how I would
0: be if I was Yeah, already. like <laughs> mildly confident. <laughs> Kind of fucking with them. Yeah. Why not? They ask you the same question every interview. You got to spice it up. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I was just going to
2: say that like it's I think it's like divine providence that they would end up in Argentina right here. Hmm. And even the framing kind of suggests that they should be here. So. In the film, they start off in black and white, Mm -hmm. which is polar opposite right there. There's tile floors that are black and white right there. Uh, It's really showing the difference between there. And the way that you can get the most striking difference between these characters and their isolation is to literally stick them in a place to where they stick out like a sore thumb. When you see them in the crowd, they're like distinctly popped out. The only thing that really connects them back to their home country is the food that they eat. That's Mm. the only thing.
1: I'm so glad you brought up the food because I think food is like a really noteworthy thing that Juan Kar-wai uses in this film, but also his other films. Like watching In the Mood for Love, they go to this like mm. same noodle stall like six times in the film. By the end of it, I'm like, I'm fucking hungry. <laughs> Junkie Express yeah. Too. Yeah. They there's a lot of food in that movie. Like one of the women works at a like a food cart. And I never really put that together. It's like, well, of course, they're going to eat this food. It's going to be like yet another reminder of home Mm. and maybe even like add to their homesickness that they obviously feel. Mm -hmm. Because like I know when I go to a place for a long time and if I'm looking for like that peanut butter or whatever that like will (laughs) bring me home, like I can find peanut butter. But it's not going to taste quite the same because you're not getting what you're used to, like the ingredients. And that's just like I don't even consider that. That's a really cool point that it's like a way of bringing them home for a moment.
2: They, uh, w- I don't know if you guys know this, but like whenever the two characters, the two main characters are speaking with one another, they're speaking in a Hong Kong dialect. And mm. I don't understand what they're saying. Like, <laughs> I don't understand a word of it. That's how different dialect is uh, between the Chinese language. But whenever um, Lei's character, uh, Tony's character is talking with Chang, Chang is from Taipei, he's from Taiwan, mm-hmm. and I can completely understand what he's saying. But when they're, com- when they're communicating with one another, Cheng is speaking in Mandarin and Lei responds back in Hong Kong. And they're they're always going back between these
3: two huh. language choices right there. I just remember one of my one of our good friends in college, uh, our friend Wei was a huge Wonkar Y fan, and he would always talk about how and maybe you said this too before, Charles, because I'm telling you, I think you've seen Ashes of Time Redux with me, but <laughs> I think he does. I think Wonkar Y does this a lot where He'll have characters speaking different languages to each other, which that's not how it normally happens in real life. Right, Charles? Uh, can. You can a little bit. Like, I think it's
2: so interesting in film because that's a purposeful decision for him to do this right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's actually like, and we can get into it later because I think this is like a very broad idea that like all of us can contribute to. But... There is, like, the focus on identity and, uh, you know, parlaying that into your nationality between Hong Kong and Argentina and Taiwan and mainland China. Mm -hmm. There is a distinction between all of those parts, and each of those characters could symbolically represent each one of those parts. Um. But what I was going back to in the original point is that, like, these two characters speak in Hong Kong with each other, and they're the only ones that do in the entire film. It isolates them right mm-hmm. there, especially amongst an Argentina when they're all speaking Spanish. And they can speak Spanish, too, mm-hmm. but the, in, in terms of just a Hong Kong language, it's just those two. They're alone.
0: Yeah, I, I like that point that you're making that you maybe it happens in real life, but you hardly see it in film. And it brings me back to Call Me By Your Name and I hate how much I reference this movie. But like, I think a filmmaker needs to be very confident in their ability, one, to trust their actors and their body movements and their their way of physically communicating without words. Because if you're switching between these dialects and these languages, like the points have to be made very clear and their communication with each other is more than words, it's more than sounds.
1: Well, that actually kind of reminds me of something that Chang himself says in the film. There's just one night where Chang and Fai go out for a beer and Chang like has his head like kind of resting on his hands on the table. And Fai's like, you know, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm listening to the room. And he has his like little mini monologue where he says, sometimes I think ears are more important than eyes. You see better with your ears. You can act happy, but your voice reveals the truth listen closely and you can tell. So maybe like even a part of their conversating in sl- in like different dialects is that they are listening to how they're saying things and the inflection mm-hmm. and the eye control and mm. all of these other elements that contribute to language. Um, but I- I'm so glad that we have you here, Charles, to be able to like point that out because it's not really stated in the subtitles. You just get like on our end as English speakers, <laughs> just the English <laughs> translation. I had no clue. So that's like endlessly fascinating as well. No, yeah.
2: I, I think what you're saying, Lizzie, is also really fascinating. I love how you connected those two things together right there. Well, one thing that I want to add on to that scene, though, is that that character Chang, he's speaking in Mandarin. The quote that he's saying, if, I, if I, I'm I going to butcher it, if anyone actually speaks Chinese, but I'm pretty sure he's saying like, <laughs> And when they translate it on the subtitle, it sounds like really profound. It looks like he's saying it as a statement, but in everyday like Mandarin Chinese to me, it's very casual how he's Mm. saying it. The (laughs) way the subtitle was making it makes him being like, I'm being super serious right now. But like he's actually in, in the way that I'm interpreting the words, it's. It's just, he's just having a drink and just yeah. saying words that are coming out of his mouth.
1: He's like, well, you know, like, if you sound sad, you are sad, bro. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the editing room, they're like, come on, guys, we lost, we Spice lost that one sound. actor.
1: I will say the subtitling of this movie, like they had some really delicious way of phrasing and I mm-hmm. could have no idea without Charles maybe telling me if it was like super direct or if they kind of like add it more flowery because I will I do find that Wong Kar-Wai's dialogue is like just spicy and flowery enough that I don't roll my eyes but I'm just mm-hmm. like drooling I'm like this is poetry yeah. I want to talk like this <laughs> you know? so good So yeah, that's the plot of the film. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. Let's let's get into it.
3: There's such yeah, so many good moments.
1: Y'all are we're just like great. Just having fun, yeah. Just fucking having a great (laughs) time. So, like Charles mentioned, the movie starts out in black and white, and we meet our two main characters in a shabby hotel room. Lai La Fei is played by Tony Lung and Ho Po Wing is played by Leslie Chung, which I gotta say, these two actors are just.
0: Dude, f- so fucking good. What the fuck? I didn't think I could be more attracted to either of them. And then oh Chang showed up and I was like, are you fucking kidding? They're <laughs> all so go. beautiful. They're Shit. gorgeous. Yeah. They
1: are truly all so stunning. Yeah. And we hear Po Wing tell Fai his like infamous line. Let's start over. And we kind of get the sense that they're in this constant cyclical toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So we learn the couple has arrived in Argentina from Hong Kong on a road trip to find Iwasu Falls. They bigger constantly, bitch at each other. And then on their road trip, they literally get lost. And we also kind of get the sense that not only are they like literally lost on the roadmap, but just kind of aimless and lost in the world in many ways. We don't really know why they come there. Um, why why would y'all think they would leave Hong Kong and come there?
3: I would assume maybe to escape like the social climate or the politics there. Maybe because of their homosexuality. I don't know. Is that does that sound right, Charles? Do you know anything yeah, about like Hong Kong politics or
2: a little bit? So around that time, and this is going to be exploring a little bit more. Like, how do I say this? I might be biting off more than what I'm chewing, but. <laughs> In the film, at the very ending shots, uh, there's a television that says that um, one of the uh, presidents has passed away. And it's in 1998, I want to say, is um, the date for that. That is around the time when Hong Kong became independent uh, from britain and was also if you know anything about hong kong right now they're trying to become independent from china as well Mm -hmm. hong kong is a very interesting situation amongst all the cities in china and that it has the most ground to stand on to say that it can be independent from mainland china um whenever you hear a hong kong person speaks english it's traditionally british english Mm -hmm. it's very odd to hear them speak and uh, as it turns out they would have a little bit more western values now. That doesn't necessarily mean that, like, they're super duper uh, socially progressive, but if you compare that against mainland China, it's pretty much like heaven. It's like (laughs) much more, since, like, I'm pretty sure, I'd have to look at my notes, but I think it might still be illegal in China,
0: so... I, I was reading the trivia, and so this might not be completely accurate and from <laughs> like wise uh, discussions with interviewers, maybe he was just lying. But with the tax credit from, from Argentina, he, I think that he wanted to have some of the settings be in Hong Kong, but was like wary of the climate there and decided to shoot somewhere else. So I think the scenes that are even, quote unquote, like in Hong Kong aren't there at all.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, so cut this if I am, but I that, I think that's what I read.
3: I know the film was, like, censored or something, right, in China or or something like uh, that.
2: Most definitely. <laughs> that was a
1: question I had because it was released in Hong Kong, but I couldn't really find if it was released in China. And I know that, like, to this day, like, films will be censored for being too violent or too sexual and definitely for having, like, homosexual themes in them Mm -hmm. in China like Deadpool was a recent one where it's just (laughs) like that was never going to get played in China so I was really curious that this was like in 1997 when Mm -hmm. this film came out Mm -hmm. like from that fact I figured that Hong Kong was different and you can release different kinds of films there because of their independence and I guess at this time they were going through that handover so there wasn't really like a clear rule about what who was going to have the say over censorship if any mm-hmm. um, I can definitely like just in this conversation I can feel like the uncertainty and the confusion that must have been happening at the time mm-hmm. um, and there was a quote I found from Juan Carway in an interview that says that they wanted to make Happy Together and complete the film and release it right before the handover mm-hmm. so they like kind of rushed the film out so that it would come out in May and in June the handover was set to happen so they're like in that world. Mm-hmm. So I would only imagine that like, yeah, maybe a tax credit like brought them there and like the perk of going somewhere fun and new is interesting for a budding filmmaker. But maybe they were also just trying to escape for a while and say like, I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> I wanted to run away from America in 2016. I was like, yeah. fuck this. Like, I only I can only do
2: so much. hmm. That reminds me of, like, this is great SNL sketch. I, I love it so much. And it's called the uh, Romano Tours one. It's from uh, what Adam Sandler hosted. And he's playing this person that's trying to advertise uh, tours in Italy. And he's trying to sell you on it and tell you how beautiful it is. And then, like, in the beginning, after he goes through his spiel, he says, like, Okay, I'm trying to tell you guys how great Italy is. And sometimes, though, you guys write into me that you know, all sorts of disappointments about it. I want to tell you right now, if you're sad now, you might still feel sad there you're still yes. gonna be you in vacation if you're sad where you are and then you get on a plane to italy the you in italy will still be the same sad you from before oh <laughs> and it's this uh, it's this idea of the geographical cure where you think that like if you go to a different location you're gonna be this whole entire different individual your problems will disappear you're gonna find the answer to all of your problems but like no you're just gonna be like super sad somewhere else it's still you and i think that's yeah. kind of what's happening in this film These These two characters, there. I mean, obviously their um, sexuality is playing into it, but maybe just like the circumstances in life. It seems like that Lay's character was working a job in which he might not have felt very comfortable with because he was in debt to his father. Mm. And so they just wanted to elope. Mm -hmm. They wanted to just, you know, assign this thing to be like, let's go see this waterfall, whatever. But more importantly, let's just get out of here because I don't feel comfortable being here. Mm -hmm.
1: Amen. (laughs) <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> um, so they're on this waterfall journey that isn't going well, and they split up on the road. Phi ends up in Buenos Aires, the capital, working as a doorman at a tango club. And then one night he sees Po Wing arrive with another man and get into a taxi with him. He's like on a date they're making out. And he's pretty upset about that and then we get our first needle drop of the film and that is Frank Zappa's Chunga's Revenge which I would (laughs) like to play a little section of it for you just to get y'all in the mood in the mood for love in the mood for love (laughs) if you will (laughs) really like a musical person but we have a dj and a musician and charles i don't know what your musical abilities are but i think someone here can spill their beans on like just the musical choices in this film because we get this really sexy needle drop we get a couple of really interesting argentinian tango songs mm-hmm. and then at the end of course we get the title song um together uh, by the turtles though in this version is covered by another artist um isn't it leslie because leslie's it it's like a canto pop like Um, musician i think it could be it's not it's someone named danny chung oh okay Okay. it would be fucking so cool if it was leslie yeah that would be awesome i know right um but yeah what'd y'all think about the music Lee, you got excited with the frank (laughs) zappa
3: (laughs) yeah i texted the group chat i was like i totally forgot there's like a there's two frank zappa frank zappa needle drops yeah I'm like a big Frank Zappa nerd and Wong Kar Wai has used like some great music in his films that he's turned me on to and other films too. So just seeing that we have a connection there with the Frank Zappa nerd, I'm just like my man. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> I love this music. Every I was like Shazamming all over this motherfucker, mm. and I had some I had some folks in my house doing some like they're just doing work in my house, and I was watching this, and it was like porn sounds because they're fucking, and uh, then you know you're hearing Zappa, then you're hearing Argentinian music, and then you know at the there's English music at the end. It's like I wonder what they thought I was watching. They probably would not have guessed this.
1: They're no. like she's on Pornhub. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
3: I love uh, just about this part of the movie. I love uh, how, because you're talking about how Poe shows up with this other man. And I think it's supposed to be implied like whenever Poe leaves the club with the other man, like you can see him looking out the back window of the cab or whatever. I think Poe like knows that Fi saw him with the other man. And there's other scenes after that where it's like Poe is like, maybe he didn't know at first, but I think he's deliberately like trying to make Phi jealous or like, you know, like let on, like he doesn't see Phi, but he he does, I think.
0: Yeah, and even in that first exchange, they don't even speak to each other. It's kind of just like a passing, like, pedestrian thing, which I was so interesting because I'm like, their relationship must be so <laughs> fucked up. You know? That
1: they are choosing to ignore each other. The only two people they know in a mm-hmm. foreign country, uh-huh. they're like, sorry, I didn't see you. Yeah, oh, excuse me, sir. Right excuse behind me. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to that point, basically the next day, Poe Wing calls Phi at work, so he did see him, asks if they can meet up, and they end up having like this huge fight where they're like pushing each other around, screaming. It is Britney Spears toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, Poe Wing begs for Fi to come back and Fi blames him for spending all of their money and basically stranding them. So we get kind of our first glimpse at like the homesickness that Fi obviously feels and that worsens throughout the film. And then at work the next day, I guess out of guilt, Poe Wing brings Phi this like expensive watch and it's just like, here, you can have it. Though he like, the next scene literally (laughs) immediately asks for it back. (laughs) So you're like, this guy is just... He is just kind of desperate, I think, at this point, just, like, looking for the nearest person that can, like, provide for him. And ultimately he ends up with Phi again because he arrives at Phi's apartment after he got the watch back. And he's been severely beaten and his hand's broken. And we kind of get the sense that, like, whoever that sugar daddy he was with at the club has, like, beaten him up for stealing the watch. And so Phi agrees to take him in and care for him. And here we are. Let's start over yet again.
0: Hmm. top of the cycle to <laughs> <laughs>
2: repeat during that section of the movie there's lots of shots of mirrors and yeah. the characters being framed in a mirror right there and the whole segment actually breaks whenever Faye. uh i'm pretty sure he's enclosed like it feels claustrophobic and then he punches a mirror mm-hmm. and then like their relationship starts right there and it's i don't want to ascribe too many like symbolic reasonings behind this but i thought it was really interesting that like They're starting over, quote unquote, is him breaking the mirror, which is him like shattering his own, uh, I guess like his own self-worth or just like who he imagines who Mm -hmm. he he is once he's back together with this past relationship. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: he's like built his identity up and then the moment he sees Poe again, it's gone.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Well, anytime Poe
1: leaves, like towards the end of the film, when he leaves for a longer period of time, Fi, like for a while, is just like a dead person, just mm-hmm. like no expression, no motion. And it's Chang who brings him back to life. That's a great motif, Charles. Mm-hmm. I never caught that.
0: I'm glad you're looking at this thematic stuff, Charles, because <laughs> I think I'd have to watch it a few more times to pick up on that.
2: Well, you you have like Lee to thank for that because <laughs> we forced Charles to watch
3: <laughs> So much Northern exposure.
2: <laughs> like In Northern Northern Exposure podcast, we overanalyze like so much. So we're always looking at being like, okay, well, like, why was it shot in this manner? Like, does it have any symbolic resonance between, you know, in this scene? And if so, what do we think it means? Let's like crowbar something <laughs> into it right there.
1: You're like snowflakes mean individualism because
0: every snowflake is different. <laughs> and you're like, I think it was just snowing in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> this
3: is, that's definitely our podcast. Oh. That's like exactly... <laughs> <laughs> We go a little too overboard sometimes.
1: Well, I hear it's subtextual. We live for that. It is
0: the truth or line of our entire thesis. We're like, Danny Zuko's pants are tight, which means he's gay. Yes. (laughs)
3: Therefore. (laughs) I wanted to say I love the device of having one of your lead actors having uh, bandages on their hand. It's so funny. There's like a scene later where Poe is like using the phone and he doesn't have hands. He can't (laughs) use his hands. So he like just throws the phone with his uh, shoulder and it doesn't even hit the hook. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff like, it's just fun to see like how Fi has to like, it make Like, you don't think about it, but Phi has to feed Poe yeah. and wash him and do everything, cook for him. Like,
0: Oh, that scene was hilarious. Where he, like, went, wakes him up. He's like, are oh. you sick? He's like,
3: because I'm hungry. <laughs> are you human? It's like, who would ask a sick man to cook them food? Come, Next to shot, he's, like, making scrambled eggs. <laughs> it
0: was the with, the, it. with, like, the so uh, blanket
3: over him yeah. in the <laughs> shitty little kitchen. Yeah. Oh, that
0: they, made me laugh like, out loud.
1: Him having his hands broken is, like, <laughs> the perfect thing for their, like, weird codependent mm-hmm. relationship to work mm-hmm. and there's even a part of the voiceover where Phi says like these were some of the happiest times and I, I kind of wished he, he would never get better yeah um because he I think he wants someone to take care of yeah
3: he like he just wants uh, I, I don't know actually there's a lot of ways to read it I guess but I, one way I read was like Fai is just happy that Poe like needs him now because yeah. Poe was maybe the more promiscuous one so it's like oh now like he's mine and he needs me.
0: Yeah, you 100%. can't leave. You can't do you can't even open the door to let yourself out. Like yeah. <laughs> you have to depend on me.
1: Um so one important thing that happens during this whole like codependency munchausen syndrome thing that's going on is that five finds Poe wing's passport in his mm-hmm. pants pocket and hides it away and this becomes very important later in the film i just want to point out my favorite fucking scene in this movie is in this like kind of like honeymoon sequence uh, we have here in the middle of the film where they learn to tango in the mm-hmm. apartment and there's that beautiful mm-hmm. scene where they're like in the kitchen tangoing together and i'm like Oh, yeah. I can see like, how they keep coming back to this because they do have like this delicious chemistry, mm-hmm. and like the good is so good and the bad is like, fucked.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that they, they kept so much of that in because without that, if you, you were witnessing like all the spicy stuff that comes out of their toxic relationship, you'd be like, why are these people together? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. their chemistry is so good. Like that scene where Ho comes to him on the, the sofa and just like smushes him. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I get that way with my partner sometimes. I'm like, this is cuteness aggression. Like I want to squish you.
1: Yes, it's like, did you just bite aggression. me? Why did you
3: bite me? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's so
0: realistic. Uh-huh.
1: And, and, like, not to forget, I totally just glossed over it, but, like, the first time we see them in the film, they have, like, what I think is a really well-done sex scene between two men, mm-hmm. um, and they have a ton of chemistry there. They obviously have a passion, and it's like, yeah, you need to have those moments of, like, okay, I see why you're doing this, so that all the moments of unraveling just kind of hurt that much more.
2: Mm-hmm. Pain. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he... Uh... Doesn't the dance scene kind of repeat itself later in the film? Like at the very final 10 minutes? I think that um, Ho's character... You're
1: talking about when Poe Wing goes to the tango oh, club yeah. and dances Bar-sewer. with yeah. the older, mm. the tango like yeah. instructor? Or yeah. he's like, I get—I mean, to me, that's like, well, he's trying to replace his lover.
3: Right, and right. And
1: whether he is successful or not, we're going to go with probably not.
3: this I know this is later, but does that happen like before or after Poe? Gets back to the old apartment?
1: I think it's right before.
3: Okay. So maybe he's like, it's not going to work. And so he, because that for me is the most devastating part is so Fi has already left Argentina and Poe goes to their old apartment and I guess he's renting it now and it's still all the same because maybe Phi left the stuff and Poe is washing the floors. Uh. It's like, and he leaves the door open too. I noticed that the second time watching it this time around, he leaves the door open like, Maybe expecting Fi to come back or...
0: Yeah, he even opens it and like looks out, like checks to see if he's coming around. So So fucking sad. It's so (laughs) sad. He's like stranded there forever. Oh my gosh. I have two things to say on that. Uh,
2: It's funny that you bring up doors because I think that one of the best shots in the movie, I think, is that it cuts to the door and it's unlocked. And that's when like all of the... All of the things they've been hiding comes forth because mm. it's a you know a little symbolism right there like the door is unlocked right there. I think that's such a good shot. I'm like, oh, it's such a great decision for to do that. But on the second thing is that um, Lizzie, you brought up the passport uh, that he was hiding from. I thought at the end of the film, I'm mistaken, but I thought that uh, Faye's character took his passport and fled the country using his identity
3: that so that maybe was in one of the deleted scenes Well, I don't know about that Is but, it? Uh, I don't think exactly that but what Lizzie was talking about with like the call me by her name thing like I think the nurse that found Phi's dead body thought he was Poe because mm. he had Poe's passport so no. they switched identities in that way that's the deleted thing. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Because they include that scene where Fi's Fi like, I am going to give him his passport. I just don't want to see him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he right, comes back right. around, he gets it.
2: Yeah. So he does. He, he gets it. around. But I thought that like for a split second, because <laughs> they did like a really quick shot to that passport. I was like, oh, my God, he actually just took it and left. <laughs> I was like, that, and then I also thought that actually worked, too. I was like, thematically, I was like, this is great because the reason he's even there in the first place, he's stranded is because Poe took all his money and yeah. now he's reversing it. He's like, now I'm going to make you stay here yeah, you and get I'm taking be, your f- identity you get I'm leaving. On, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> On a later watch
1: the film, like, I originally had in my notes, like, oh, he wants to keep him close, so if he keeps his passport, he can't leave. But at the end of the film, I was like, no, he keeps his passport, so he can't follow him in the end. Mm-hmm. Huh. And he's finally mm. like, I'm mm. done. You cannot come to me because you are stuck on the other side of the world. And that is just really fucked up. <laughs> so fucked up. <laughs> like you think, like it kind of paints like Poe sometimes as the one who's destroying the relationship, but it's like, no, they are both equally mm-hmm. just doing the most to hurt each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Enabling is the word. Enabling. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, so back at the Tango Club, um, Fi sees the man that beat up Poe Goes and beats him up, like a good boyfriend, and then loses his job and ends up working at a Chinese food restaurant in the kitchen where he meets our sweet baby boy, Chang. So cute. Mm -hmm. Played by Chang Chen. Uh, Chang is so sweet. He's definitely like a listener, dreamy, kind of Sagittarius type. Um, And they strike up a friendship.
0: You just... What? You were like, he's so cute and dreamy and hot and he's a Sagittarius. <laughs> You're a Sagittarius, you bitch. And? I know. I call it how I
1: see it. I know you one when I see one. can't prove he's a Sagittarius. I will work on that. <laughs> um, so they strike up. Okay. Did y'all ever get the sense that there was like anything romantic between Chang and Phi
3: I wanted to ask that. Yeah. I don't know. Like... I thought the first time I was watching it, because there is a part where Poe starts asking Fi, like, okay, you're seeing new people. Yeah. I always thought that Fi was seeing Chang on the side, but by the end of the movie, I don't know if it really explicitly suggests that. I don't know.
0: I think that, and this is how I grade things now, (laughs) having done this podcast with you, but I think if you cut the overt homosexual text out, and it was just a movie about Phi and Chang, I would be like, this is still gay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. There is like like an unspoken thing that I think goes beyond just like regular friendship. And it could Mm -hmm. be because they're on the other side of the world and, you know, there's a loneliness that's just baked into everything that they do. But it felt much stronger and it didn't feel even like a brotherhood. It felt like a kinship, like a really deep one.
1: Yeah. Like, I think you're right. It goes beyond that. It's like this inherent chemistry that they have Mm -hmm. and shared interests. And I think Chang pulls Phi out in a way that is... Similar, but completely
0: different from what Poe
1: did for his personality. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, if we're talking about Antipodes like physically on Earth, but then also like Poe and Chang are those things as well. Like when he's with Poe, he wants to go home. But when he's with Chang, Chang has this lust for life and he wants to get farther away. He wants to continue traveling. So it's like those two things again.
2: Mm. Absolutely! Oh wow, I I love that, Sammy. And to build on to that, I think if we add, like, I think if we look through this through the lens of um China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, you can kind of see like the relationship between Hong Kong and China is that like they're trying to see independence from each other. They don't exactly know if they can mutually live without each other. But then you have Chang who represents Taiwan, and Taiwan has been like even more independent from China. Now, you know, China could claim and say like, no, no, that's part of mainland China right there. <laughs> but arguably so, like it has way more independence than Hong Kong, which is physically in China right there. So it, what Chang's character does is like, he offers another path toward happiness. And Taiwan is like a whole like different thing. And like, maybe Hong Kong can look at Taiwan as an example and say like, okay, I see like an alternative path from belonging to just mainland China. Like, I can see that this can go in a different direction. It's not linear. Like, I keep thinking that I have to start over and go back with China. It can actually go to a different direction, like what Taiwan is showing me right here. So I think that, like, underneath that geopolitical lens, it has, like, It it can definitely be romantic, but you could also look at it and just say, like, it just has, like, a very deep brotherhood feel. But Mm -hmm. again, like you were saying, Lizzie, like, I can definitely see it being romantic. Like, I'm not (laughs) saying it can't be at all.
1: It's called wishful thinking, Charles. Yeah, we're paid to do it at this point. (laughs) No, I love that's really beautifully said as well. Like, And I can see that through line of what you're saying, how, how the three countries could be represented here, like, going all the way through the relationship and towards the end, like. I just love that. Thank you for bringing history to us, bringing <laughs> politics, because that is one thing <laughs> I am unqualified to do. Um, all right. So where were we?
3: I have one other question. Sorry. But but I want to do continue on the plot. But there's like a red box in the cabinet that they, I don't remember, but I think Fi like always checks it. And then later Poe. Looks like he's getting like weed or something out of it, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: he grabs something out of that box. What is that? that? I thought it was coins, like coins?
3: money. Coins. Okay, that's that could be. Yeah, it he's like it trying to steal as well. his money or something. That's probably it. <laughs>
0: yeah, because I also, also had the same thought. I'm like, you could put your weed <laughs> in there. He's <laughs> like, all right, little weed. I'm going to get cigarettes. Make me a little spoofy. Yeah. No.
2: The the reason I think it's money is because immediately afterwards it goes to the um, scene where he's playing mahjong. Oh, okay. Mm. So he might need money for that. Yeah.
1: Oh. I just thought it was (laughs) weed. It's his weed box. We've all got one. (laughs) So basically, we get into this like really long and sad sequence where we see their relationship really starting to deteriorate. Like I mentioned before, there's lots of suspicion and like talk between the two about like, well, who have you slept with? How many men have you slept with? Well, I'm not like you. I won't just sleep with any man on the street. Like, Lots of slut shaming and all this mm. stuff happening, and then I
0: don't think it's slut shaming if if they're cheating on you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> if they're cheating
0: on you and they're slut shaming. Yeah, it's yeah he, double. He comes back later to say like I was never the guy to like hook up in the bathroom, but it's just so convenient. So there is like a slut shaming thing at the beginning, but it's like mostly like are you cheating on me, which is valid. Yes, exactly.
1: No, you're totally right. Like, there's even the extreme case where. Uh, Phi comes home from work and Poe's not there. And he comes back a lot later after Fi's already gone to sleep. And he's like, where'd you go? And he's like, I just went out to get cigarettes. And he's like fully dressed up, like looking great. Um, So Fi immediately goes down to the bodega and buys like a hundred packs of cigarettes to be like, well, now you can't leave. I'm just like, that's such a funny way to control your lover. Be like, well, if I buy every single treat at Trader Joe's, you won't be able to say you need snacks. Exactly.
3: Uh (laughs) That really shocked me that, like amount of cigarettes because it's like a different brand that I'm not familiar with. I'm like, oh, what's he got there? And then I'm like, oh, my God, those are all the cigarettes. So he bought all the cigarettes in the store.
1: It's <laughs> literally crazy. every pack. I really wanted a cigarette after this movie. Like I, I haven't know. had like a dirty, dirty cigarette in a while, but they smoke every scene.
0: Cinema and cigarettes are the same thing as cinema and martinis where I'm like, God, it looks so fucking good. The first time I had a martini, I was like, this sucks. It's like Carol's Carol just sipping that in the restaurant. Yeah, they it does strong. not t- Like you think it would.
1: So, yeah, this all culminates in one final fight in this cycle where Poe demands that Phi give him his passport back. Uh, Phi refuses, says he's not ever going to do that, and he leaves in a huff, and we don't see him for basically the second half of the film until the end, mostly because Leslie Chung had to go on a musical tour. (laughs) But thematically, we know that relationship cycle has come to an end for now. Um, But good news, Chang and Fi get to hang out now. And they have a lovely summer together, doing the most, working in the kitchen, playing soccer, drinking. There's really cute scenes where when Fi drinks too much, Chang's like, come on, buddy, I'll tuck (laughs) you in.
3: There's a great cut when... Chang is like, hey, you want to go grab a drink? Like, I'm bored. And then the very next shot is like, he's carrying fine. He's like, you drank too much. <laughs> and like, up. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I love Speaking
2: that. Speaking of cuts, they had like one that I, I I like it now. Not that I'm thinking about it, but like when I was watching it, I thought it was like maybe a little bit too heavy handed. But it's right after the scene where he steals the passport and he says like, I'm never going to give it back. And then it, the next shot is him on that boat. Yeah. And he he just shows him adrift. Like, he's like, you know, he's literally, you know, lost in sea. So, like, he can never return back home.
0: Jeez, Charles. Okay. (laughs) Listener, Charles said before we started recording that he watched this and, like, finished it five minutes ago yeah. and was like, I haven't really processed my thoughts on this yet. <laughs> what the hell? How do you remember all this shit? I watched it like earlier today and like,
3: yeah, I've wow. seen it twice in like 48 hours and I'm still like <laughs> so confused. By, what is the red box? What does it mean?
1: <laughs> so after Chang and Fi's summer of fun, Chang's finally saved up enough money. He wants to go to the southernmost tip of South America to a place that is um, nicknamed the end of the world. He has a tape recorder (laughs) here. And I love this scene so much. But he's kind of talking with Fi and he's like, there's this lighthouse at the end of the world. Apparently you can go there and like air out your heartbreak. And Chang says, well, if you record something, I'm happy to play it there for you. And he goes off and dances in the crowd. And Fi takes the tape recorder and just weeps into it. And, you know, it's really unclear, like truly who is he crying for? Is mm-hmm. he crying for Chang that his really best friend buddy is leaving? Is he crying for Hong Kong? Is he crying for himself? Mm-hmm. Is he just drunk? Like there's a lot of really beautiful sadness there in that performance and wanted to see what y'all thought about it.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I always read it as um, Poe, but now that you're saying that, I think it's like a compounding of so many things and It is just like a perfect performance and the way it's brought up again at the end is, I think the ending of this movie, it has a kind of a few different endings, like a few different things that happen and they're all just like ding, 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 all good. Yeah,
0: I think that was the first time that he's ever Sat and just understood how much bad shit happened to him. He's like, okay, if I had to like sum up my sadness and then you just like open the floodgates and it just like rocks your body, like, oh, so hard to watch, but it's so beautiful and it reminds me of this thing that you can cut out because I just watched, La- <laughs> I just watched Ladybird. Bird. Um, and so this is like a, a smaller scene in that film, but the pastor who's leading like the children's yeah. acting group is like, okay, let's sit around and we'll play first to cry wins. Yes. And the kids all just like sit down and they're like thinking about the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And then they look over and the pastor's fully sobbing Aww. and he was like, I- I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. But it really reminded me of that moment. Mm-hmm. Like if you sometimes if you take a break or a step back to, to think about it, it's just like so consuming.
1: Absolutely. Especially if you have someone that you love saying like, here, here's a portal for your emotions. Shall you dump into it? <laughs> and you're like, I'm actually fine. I'm having a great day. I've just oh, it's so much, you know. Oh, man.
2: That is a standout scene. That has got to be like way up there. Yeah. In, uh in in all film it's so good.
3: When- when Wong Kar-Wai thought about that, he was like, oh, it's going to be so good. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, really I know. He's like, rest. oh,
2: we're going to cut. It's going to be <laughs> like, you can't hear the dialogue. It's just him. I think what's really neat about it is that when he takes the tape recorder, you see initially the tape recorder hides his eyes and you can only see his mouth and he's speaking into it. And then he puts it down when well, you can't see his mouth, but you can see his eyes and you can see that he's crying. That's <laughs> so neat that he's yeah. going between the eyes and the mouth right there. I also think that it's very interesting how Chang's character says that this, uh, this recorder is going to be a memento because he doesn't like pictures. Yet at the end of the film, the way that Faye's character reconciles with Chang is that he finds his picture. Mm-hmm. He finds the old picture that he had sent from ba when he was at the lighthouse so I think I don't really know what to make of that, but I know that like something's there because mm-hmm. it's such a direct line right there.
0: Maybe it's like, like that's how they see each other. Like Chang just likes to hear. So that's how he has Fi and Fi, I guess, just sees him. And it just seems like right. a, a mutual exchange.
1: Yeah. Well, it's true because he kept mm-hmm. okay. he Poe Wing's. Passport, which has a photo of him in it,
3: so mm-hmm. it's like a
1: visual memento. Of and the lamp. This love, and the yeah. lamp, another
0: visual symbol.
3: What a cool lamp! Like I, I want, looked it up. Is, oh, I, I wanted to much? see if
0: I could get it. I, it doesn't exist anywhere. I think they made it just for the film because you know, at the uh, end, he was like, good. "I always imagined two of us standing there, and, yeah. and the oh, lamp. There's two. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I couldn't find it, but that's a dope ass lamp. Yeah. Dope lamp. Yeah. <laughs> Is uh,
2: I wanted to ask this, but like whenever Chang leaves the room, they say their final goodbye.
3: Is there something going on with the frame rate in those shots? Yeah, actually, there's a lot of kind of moments in the movie where I'm thinking of another one where like someone lights in someone else's cigarette, and it like has like a very brief freeze frame, like it holds. Mm -hmm. But I was actually Lizzie and I were kind of talking about this before, but. I don't know if it's happening in the scene you're describing, Charles, but there's a thing that Wong Kar Wai does a lot in his movies that's a very... Some people describe it as like slow motion and fast motion at once, but it's like the term... I I was like, what is the step printing? What does that mean? So uh, step printing is like slow motion in a way, but... To me, it was like the like the fake version of slow motion. So yeah. like in film school, if you want to shoot slow motion, you have to shoot high frame rates. So you shoot a lot of pictures really fast. Every second of a film is 24 frames. If you can like expand that to even more frames per second, you have like much more images to show. And it's like slows things down because you have to get through... 94 images before the end of the second now or whatever. But so the thing about step printing, sorry, we're, we're kind of going off the deep no, end here. No, this is really no, no, interesting. No, no, this is good. The thing about step printing is um, it's just taking every frame and duplicating it. Sometimes they do like mm. triplicate or sometimes they do that again. So uh, this may not make any sense in explanation, but to try to imagine it, it kind of has like a chunky, blocky, almost stop motion-y feel of slow motion. yeah. And then on top of that, he does this thing, uh, which I don't fully understand, but it has to do with the shutter speed. If you have a very slow shutter speed, more light gets into the onto the film. So something kind of slow like that, he'll do that on top of step printing, and it gets really blurry and like bright, and then also feels like choppy slow motion. So this is a very roundabout way of saying that's an interesting technique that Wonkoway uses a lot for slow motion, and maybe that's what's going on in that scene, Charles. Like, he does some strange things where it doesn't feel like slow motion. It feels kind of choppy, maybe, right? Yeah. That is super fascinating,
2: actually. And I think that that's such a good technique to use, to make it more, like, quote-unquote, jankier, uh, much more just not smooth to look at It's an Mm -hmm. irregular fluidity to it. But that's fine because that person is already in an unsteady presence of mind. Mm -hmm. So the camera mimics that right there. So we can see that like time slows down and everything looks weird because he wants this moment to stay, but it can't. It just keeps moving beyond him.
1: Yeah. I think I I get Wong kar like double intention for that. Like my interpretation of it is that whenever I see that effect, it kind of causes like a stutter and almost a pause at one single frame and to me it feels like you're taking a picture you mm-hmm. know like you're freeze-framing that one moment so if we're like in this train of thinking where Phi is like a very visual person he wants these images maybe he's like trying to like capture that moment like that image with Chang that image with Poe Um, And then for Wong Kar-wai, when he's, because this is obviously like a semi-complicated or intentional thing you have to do to your film, push it to create this effect. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's doing that to, so the audience will notice, like, hey, pay attention to this moment. Like Mm -hmm. it may, you know, this film has 200 scenes in it, but this moment, look here, asterisk, Mm -hmm. um, looking back at it that way.
0: Yeah, it really does stand out amongst the other scenes. And it just, it feels more like a memory than anything yeah. else.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, really well said,
1: Lizzie. Charles and I are going to start our own podcast. <laughs> 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 Let's all make competing podcasts. <laughs> oh my God, the Sam Lee podcast would just be so over my head. I'm such an
0: idiot. We'd just be talking like technical uh, <laughs> shit.
1: Subscribe. Mm-hmm. I would slam the subscribe button. Yeah. Um. So now Phi is... Basically, all alone in Argentina, and he starts making like direct moves back to Hong Kong. He starts a different job at a butcher shop where he says basically he gets back on Hong Kong time, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, where he sleeps all day and works all night. He tries to reconcile things with his father by giving him a call and writing him a letter explaining things that his father was always afraid to ask about, which We never know what that means, which I love Wong kar Way for just leaving it open-ended. We can fill in the blanks with all of our own daddy issues. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, And this is also where we get those really, I think, peaceful shots of what we're meant to believe is Hong Kong upside down, shot in complete 180. Mm -hmm. It's just like someone in the back of a taxi looking out over an urban area with like a really soft radio voice in the background.
2: There's also a shot where... I think he's like right outside the butcher shop and he's saying that he picked up more shifts and he's trying to wash away the blood off the pavement, but the blood won't, like he's using that hose and it splits the blood for like a split second, but then the blood inevitably pulls down and it's soaked in red again and there's no way to wash it out. And I think that's like, I'm pretty sure that's subtext (laughs) to say like, I can't get out of this relationship with Mm Poe. Like as much as I want to like do it, I want to delineate from it and I want to separate myself from him. It's always going to mix in right here. It's just going to remain red. So you gotta, you gotta just cut it off at the source.
3: There's like another shot in the, this is before this, but in the um, kitchen where he has like a big old pot of blood, I guess. I don't know. It's something red. So I don't know. Maybe red has a, has something to do with that.
2: Oh, that is also now that you bring that up, that's that's also one of my favorite shots in the film is that there's a shot with the dinner table and um Ph- Phi is going over to it and he's eating at the table and then suddenly it cuts and it's a different Moment of time, yeah. and it's just a table and the windows empty, yeah. are being blown. It's empty, and it's it, that hard cut is so great. But then later in the film, Poe's gonna be sitting at that table, and it's the same exact shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just him sitting at the table now. And I was like, "Oh, this is great! Like, this is fantastic."
1: <laughs> you are like, "I am in pain, and I am living." Yes. <laughs> So Po-Wing finally gets back in contact with Phi to get his passport back. You know, Phi says he'll give it back, but then when Poe Wing comes by the apartment, he's basically found that Phi is gone. Um, and he ends up moving back into the apartment and is left with this lamp of the Iwasu Falls, and he's kind of gazing into it. Meanwhile, Phi has taken his own journey to the actual Iwasu Falls, and we get Kind of like the shot that we started the film on repeated here again, which is like a super... I love this shot. I love this shot so much. But it's like a bird's eye. Oh, it's over the birds. Mm -hmm. We're looking down at the birds and the waterfall just like slowly and endlessly falling. Very peaceful. It also has like kind of like this acid green blue color Mm -hmm. that is really unlike a lot of the like warmer tones and yellows that we see in the rest of the film. So they both kind of end up at these falls mourning in two very different ways.
3: Yeah. That um, waterfall always makes me think of like an eyeball or something. It looks weird, right? Mm-hmm. Like just like looking into close, like really close up. And it's like, that's actual high frame rate, slow motion. Like it's, you can see the water. Yeah. Smooth it's it's and, so mm.
1: smooth and yeah. calm. And you're right. Like eerie, unending.
0: Yeah. Terrifying.
2: But like, why do you, why do y'all think it's a, like, why is the waterfall so significant in this film? Like, why is this such a thing that they have to go visit?
1: Charles, you're, you asked this question, like, you know, the answer. Do you have
2: an answer?
0: Yeah, like a teacher is, is that, open-ended no. question. Just trying to gauge if anyone did the reading or not. <laughs> no,
2: I don't have an answer. I, I, I really don't. <laughs> I have, like, what I think is the answer, but, like, I highly doubt it. It's like, it, like well, more like most things in film, there's multiple meanings, and the meaning comes from
3: yourself. Doesn't have to have one meaning. That is sure. the
1: answer. Your answer <laughs> is the answer, Charles. Uh, <laughs> Would you like to share with the class? I'm <laughs> sure we come back
3: to you. Here, I'll, yeah, I'll, 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 maybe this is the same idea, Charles. So, I'm drawing on the shot where Bai is there at the waterfall, and he's, like, literally getting showered. He's drenched with the water. Um, but water, rain, like natural water has like some symbolism in literature, I guess in film too, of like rebirth, washing yourself clean. So maybe they want to go to the waterfall to start new, just, what does he say? To start anew, or let's, let's start over or let's whatever. start over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's their idea is like, oh, we'll just, when we finally get there, we'll be able to start over and it'll be good again. But it's kind of a, as we've been talking about a, a cycle. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Well, like a waterfall breaks the cycle, though. It, it, it doesn't loop back around. It just falls. Yeah, it just crashes right there. If anything, the waterfall is the final destination.
3: That's good, too.
1: Great film. <laughs> um,
3: <don't> just <laughs> <it>. <laughs> we nailed it. Yeah.
1: Um, and so we end the film with five visiting Chang's family food stall in Taipei. We don't really know if he's come here through serendipity or on purpose. But he sits down, is kind of like surrounded by like all these people who are like speaking over him, around him, at him. He feels like very at home and he doesn't look very lonely. And then he takes a moment to use the phone, quote unquote, and actually just like pocket this photo of Chang at the end of the world in South America. And we get the final line of the film. Where Fai says, if I ever want to see him again, I know where to find him. And kind of leaves this like open-ended, hopeful thing uh, in the air. And we get our final needle drop of the film, which I will play for you right now.
0: Imagine me and
3: you, I do. I, I think about you day and night. It's only right to think about the girl you love. We got like shots of Taipei, I'm assuming, like the subway. It's
0: live. It's a live recording, which is nice. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I found out
1: like yesterday, actually, that the original Chinese title translates literally to Spring Light at First Glance. So that that's a totally different <laughs> film entirely. Like if I heard the film titled spring light at first glance that feels to me like an like a coming of age like romance <laughs> and also harkens more to this like idea of the waterfall and like greenery um and then happy together is like almost a tongue-in-cheek title of, yeah like, these people are not happy
0: together <laughs> it seems like um like a mixed family rom-com where like t- these People get married and their kids have to like live in the same house, you <laughs> like know? Meet the Fockers. So yeah. Or like, together. like,
1: yeah. Cheaper by the dozen. Exactly.
3: <laughs> I also read um, there's like another, like an interpretation of the Chinese title. is like, I think so. Spring light at first glance is like the literal meaning. And then like an interpretation is like, it doesn't, like it means the exposure of something intimate. Did you read that part? Oh, like, no. So Love like that. Yeah. That's pretty interesting too. And then I wanted to point out the, uh, In that documentary behind the scenes, you can see on the slate it says B.A. Affair, like Buenos Aires Affair, I think was the working title.
1: Oh, cool. So this film has like five or six different (laughs) titles. (laughs) I personally think Happy Together is, I mean, it's the title I'm familiar with, so I'm (laughs) obviously biased. But I think it like says a lot about the film and it can be interpreted a bunch of different ways.
2: I was making sure that the characters weren't the same. Well, whenever I was looking through this, mm-hmm. uh, between their Chinese title and the English title, uh, the sometimes in Chinese, whenever they're trying to translate something from English to Chinese or vice versa, they don't have a one-to-one ratio or like a stand-in that they can use. So they try to go for the closest sounding ones that they can while still retaining the um, original meaning of the word. So... For example, off the top of my head, I think like Ferrari in Chinese is like Ferrari. And if you write it out in characters, in the actual word itself, it means like, oh gosh, I'm pretty sure I'm wrong on this. But it like essentially means like the the best <laughs> or like the very fast. Subtle. So they were like... In, in your mind you think like ferrari very fast cars so they're like all right well, then, like it's sort of it sort of sounds like ferrari and it means fast just have that be the word <laughs> so you do that a lot and they might have done that for this title and i was looking at it it doesn't look like it's like that um they do share the same number of syllables so maybe but like i highly doubt that's the reason it, it looks like huh. that's a classic case of them just being like hey what do you think is a good title happy together oh let's go with that like, <laughs> yeah. i don't think they were looking at the uh, chinese characters
0: and this isn't the only gay movie that takes, like, its title from this song. There's uh, Imagine Me and You, mm-hmm. which is so different from this film in every single way. But it's also from, yeah, this song.
1: Yeah, you're totally right. Is Do you remember, is this song played as a needle drop in Imagine Me and You? It is, yeah, a couple times. Wow. That-
0: yeah. <laughs> gay people just love this fucking song. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs>
1: um. So, yeah, that's the film. So, wrapping up, I kind of... I found this really interesting quote. And again, we all know Wong Kar-wai likes to fuck with interviewers. And he says he's very much one, it seems to say, exactly what he feels. So I found a quote that I thought was really interesting. Um, He says in an interview with Cine Action Magazine back in 1997 when the film was released, he says, In fact, I don't like people to see this film as a gay film. It's more like a story about human relationships, and somehow the two characters involved are both men. Normally, I hate movies with labels like quote unquote gay film, art film, or commercial film. There is only good film and bad film. So, a lot of interesting stuff that really got my kind of wheels turning because I'll just kind of go first, but like what I really liked about this movie was kind of a mix of these sentiments with Wong Kar Wai is that like he did just treat these characters as people. We didn't have like either of these characters or any, all three of these characters like battling with their sexuality necessary. Like it was more just like we're getting into the relationship and into the emotion. But I think it's impossible to say that their queerness does not play into how they interpret these relationships with each other. So I think it is both. I, I do like the sentiment of, does it have to be a gay film to be about gay people? Like, why can't it just be like a film? Yeah. It just happens to have gay characters in it. But at the same time, like, not that it's necessarily like erasure to me, at least, because I think in this interpretation of a gay relationship, like he's done better than like I've even seen queer filmmakers do sometimes, like looking at, Uh, Happiest Season, a movie written and directed by a queer woman that just made me fucking cringe. So I don't know what, like, I guess, Sam, you look like you want to say something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, you read that quote and it just pinged me like that's almost exactly what the motherfucker who directed Fried Green Tomatoes said. Like, this is just a movie about two women who happen to live together. But like the difference between that director saying that and this director saying something similar is that. This director had the fucking balls to actually portray them in love, whereas, like, the Fried Green Tomatoes director just wanted to make it seem like they were friends who lived together. Right. So it's like, if you're accurately portraying a relationship about two men in love, it's gay. But, yeah, it doesn't make The Notebook a straight movie. Like, it's mm-hmm. just about two people who are in love. Right. Right. Sorry, I was like jazzed to say that because that got me really mad. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> so, does this statement from Juan Carway like make you angry?
0: No, I, for him it seems it seems really sincere. Like I make a lot of movies with you know the same intention, just to tell a story, and sometimes the people are gay. Whereas like Fried Green Tomatoes is just, like. So what? I wanted to make a straight story gay, or a gay story straight. Like, right. leave me alone about it. Yeah, I wanted to erase this part and just have you guess about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, <laughs> it he kind easier. of did the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. he
1: even had to, like, kind of talk... Uh, his one of his leads, Tony Chung, into doing a role and like getting to trust him to do a role that involved a same-sex relationship. Because mm-hmm. this is back in the 90s, you know, like fucking Jake Gyllenhaal got hounded for years after. Like, Jake, are you gay for being a gay cowboy in Brokeback Mountain? <laughs> you know, like this was a different time. Um, and ultimately, I thought he nailed it. A great portrayal of a queer relationship.
3: Mm-hmm. Leslie Chung is, or I guess he's not alive anymore, but He's a gay man, right? Or was mm-hmm. he not out at the time? I don't know.
0: He had a he had a public boyfriend at the oh. time of his death.
3: Um, but yeah,
0: he he was like regularly hounded about his
3: sexuality. But yeah, so I'm guessing Tony Long was not, is not a gay man. So he was like, because no, I heard exactly. he would he be like convinced. To, uh,
1: <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> yeah. And he said, um, Wong Kar-wai said in this interview that their first day of filming, like the first thing they filmed was the first scene in the movie where the two characters have sex. And why? he's My like,
3: uncle, why? I don't know. Maybe it was like, I need to do this before, like, I need to get this done so that he can't quit or whatever. Exactly. Before. <laughs> like, you know, just like
1: throw him into the fire. Um, Which, like, watching it back, I'm like, wow, that actor, like, the professionality and the chemistry that these actors have right off the bat. I mean, I think they had a couple weeks to like get acquainted in rehearsals while they were like looking for locations and stuff. But
2: um, I was like, that's kind of brutal. But, It worked out. I think that uh, my answer is going to be like really similar, I think, to Lee's uh, answer, and Lee's going to know what I'm about to say right here. But like, we had written something in which we had quoted Sydney Lupin. Sydney Lupin or. Cine, Cine Lumet Lume. or is it Cine, <laughs> Cine Lumet? Yeah. You can say Lumet. We, uh, we were recording from Cine Lumet and it's from his novel, Making Movies. And there's a preface that quotes, I once asked Akira Kurosawa why he had chosen to frame a shot and ran in a particular way. His answer was that if he'd panned the camera one inch to the left, the Sony factory would be sitting there exposed. And if he panned an inch to the right, we would see the airport, neither of which belonged in a period movie. Only the person who's made the movie knows what goes into the decisions that result in any piece of work. They can be anything from budget requirements to divine inspiration. But I also believe that, like, it's sort of irrelevant because the show doesn't belong solely to them. It exists as a benefit to all of us. So if you can have a richer experience interpreting something, then that still is a whole net benefit. What I mean by all this is that... If Wong kar wants to treat the film in one particular manner, that's perfectly fine. And I don't think you should disregard it completely. But if you want to view the film as something which like, it empowers you and you find like a meaning to it that he did not explicitly explore, I think that's absolutely fine too. Like if you think that in this film, these two characters that are divorced from their own country and are in a foreign country and also deal... You know, they partake in something that is foreign at that time period. Then maybe that means something to you. Maybe this has some sort of deeper meaning as to like the character's action and this character, phase um, character, wanting to return back to Hong Kong. Maybe that could all relate to you in some way. So it's kind of like a straddle on the fence answer. But <laughs> overall, what I'm trying to say is like, you know, if you if you if you want to subscribe it some sort of meaning, go for it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well said. So yeah, I mean, that kind of brings us, unless anyone has any final thoughts, it kind of brings us to the end of our beautiful discussion. Um, Can I grab a pen
0: for the scores? Yes, please. Oops. You're going to have a lot of numbers to work with this week, Sam. <laughs> I'm so excited. I have like a little table right here. Ooh. <laughs> All right, you guys, let's score this. And how the score works is we base it on how gay is it and how good is it. We give it a score in both categories out of 10, and those are averaged out to be our overall subtextual score.
1: All right. So Sam, I'll ask you first, how good is this movie on a scale of one to 10?
0: It's, it's really, really good. I've been dueling out tens like it's my job though, so I can't <laughs> tens, do tens, it. Tens, across the board. I'm going to give it an
1: 8.5. All right. Lee, on a scale of one to 10, how good is this
3: movie? So I was thinking about this before we came to record and I was like, I was thinking like, okay, my score is going to be eight, but... I- like with any time I'm discussing movies or, Charles, when we talk about Northern Exposure, it always gets so much better when you talk, a, talk about it with other people. So I have to give it a nine.
1: Ooh, Charles, mm. what would you give it on a scale of one
2: to 10? Uh, This is a little bit more difficult for me because I'm not too sure on what like the value I should be using to judge like what makes it great. So I guess I could only use my own uh, metric of what I value. So with that in mind, I would give it a nine. I think that it fulfills all the things that I really like in film. So I think it's fantastic.
1: I myself, Lizzie, will also. No, fuck it. I'm giving it a nine and a half. (laughs) I've seen this movie five times all this year and I've never gotten tired of it yet.
0: (laughs) All right, onto how gay is it?
1: So, Sam, on a scale of one to 10, how gay is
0: this movie? I really had to consider this one, you know? What? I really had to sift oh. through and find. No, it's a 10, obviously. She's <laughs> making a
3: joke.
1: <laughs> you don't have to say a 10, by I, the way, boys. This is your s- own internal scale.
3: I'm not like a gay man, so I don't, I feel like I have to defer to y'all, but well, I guess this is supposed yeah. to just be like how, because Charles was asking this earlier, like how this is just like out of all movies, not just like gay movies. There's gay sex. Um, I'll give it an eight.
1: All right. Charles, on a scale of one to ten, how gay is this movie? No wrong answers.
2: <sighs> it definitely... Well, I think that it definitely can't be zero. I think <laughs> oh, you yeah, said 0 i that'd like, what, did, that'd you, what did you just watch? <laughs> I think, like you said earlier, Lizzie and Sam, they're, they don't directly address sexuality um, that's not like a major core part. There isn't a character that's struggling with it. If anything, they seem very comfortable with it. Um, So I would say like seven of like how I feel, yeah, what I personally think of, like, how quote unquote gay it is. Charles and I need our films gayer. We need more,
3: more gay.
0: <laughs> You're like, I'm it really could gayer. be gayer. I'm, I'm leaving them room for yeah. improvement. You
1: know, now that you say that, like, we don't actually know if these two characters they are fuck. like gay. They could be bi.
0: You know what I mean? No, not that, not. um. Not five, because Not five? because Chang is like, what do you like in a girl's oh. voice? And he's like, I oh, don't yeah. care. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's a 10. They're both super
1: gay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sam's going to do math now, and she's going to average all of these numbers to give us a single subtextual score.
0: <laughs> all right, we're at um, an 8.88. Wow.
3: That's a fucking
0: sexy number.
3: Ooh. What's that meme? It's like, that's great, mate. I rate eight out of eight. <laughs> 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 we got to post that.
1: So this film now comes in at number six highest rated film in Subtextual's current history. Mm. Love it, y'all! It's been an absolute pleasure to have you two on as our first ever Subtextual
0: guest. I wish we had like a mug or like a pen to give you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Once we're five
3: time guests, we'll get the jacket or whatever. The smoking jacket, What's the yeah, jacket? The, uh, yeah.
0: The five timers club. Uh, where where can they find you guys? Plug your shit.
3: Yeah, we're anywhere you get your podcast, I think we host on SoundCloud, but I mean Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, what else? Spotify. I mean, I think anywhere you get your podcast, that's what they say, right?
0: Yeah, that's what I say.
3: <laughs> well, thank you guys for having us. By the way, yeah, like this is, I love one car why, and yeah, just like when we want to talk about gay movies, this is like the first thing that came to my mind. So yay.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having us. This was such a blast, and uh, yeah, honestly, like Leah said it earlier, but like every time we discuss movies, it just gets better whenever you can discuss it with a group, and we're discussing it with a group of four people. So it's like it's re- it's growing exponentially. Our brains so like are uh, yeah,
3: yeah,
0: we're getting super big <laughs> so, brains. <laughs> thank you for inviting us onto the pod. No, thank you guys so much. You really did most of the heavy lifting. I kind of just sat back here and about Chang. <laughs>
3: <laughs> ah, Chang. Chang, hard
1: eyes. All right, guys, enjoy your Pride Month, and we'll see y'all next week for another episode of Subtextual. Thanks for listening to our podcast this week. If you'd like more bonus content, you can find us on Patreon.com/SubtextualPod. We'll see you next week for another riveting episode of Subtextual.